Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, May 5th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, we focus so much attention on what Jerome Powell and the other central bankers at the Fed say. What if it really doesn't matter what they say? Because, you know, the more I think about it, the less I think the words dribbling out of Powell's mouth really matter. Or even what all of the other Fed bankers are saying. I mean, they can say all kinds of things, right? But what they actually do is what ultimately matters. And and honestly, I'm not even sure what they do tomorrow is really going to matter all of that much at this point. What really concerns me is what they have already done and the consequences that to me, seem pretty inevitable based on their past actions at this point. So I say all of this to set up this week's discussion of the most recent FOMC meeting, which wrapped up on Wednesday. You know, people are going over the FOMC statement and Powell's press conference with a fine-tooth comb. Markets are moving on the messaging coming out of the Fed. Is the Fed about to pause? Or is the inflation fight going to continue? Will there be more rate hikes? Or will there maybe be rate cuts down the road? Can we have a soft landing? Inquiring minds want to know. If you go by the FOMC statement and the stuff Powell said, the question really remains up for debate. I mean, you can parse it a lot of different ways. But I think when you break it all down, the underlying economic reality is far more important than the messaging coming from Powell and company. And the underlying economic reality is that inflation is not beat and the economy is heading toward a cliff. So what exactly happened at the Fed meeting this week? Well, The central bank raised interest rates by another 25 basis points. That brings the target range for the Federal Reserve Funds rate to between 5% and 5.25%. It was the 10th consecutive rate increase since they started this tightening cycle in March of 2022. That right there is more important than all of the rhetoric and all of the signaling coming out of the central bank. In an environment where rate hikes are already causing significant strain in the banking system, the Fed just tightened a little bit more. It's like crazy cats are in a china shop breaking things, and the Fed just set one more crazy cat loose. So let's dig into the speculation. The official FOMC statement gave some indication that the central bank might be prepared to pause rate hikes. The committee removed language saying that it still anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. That's gone. It was replaced with a statement saying, quote, in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments, end quote. Now, interestingly, this new language is reminiscent of the verbiage in this statement released by the Fed before it paused rate hikes back in 2006. 
Of course, that tightening cycle ultimately led to the subprime mortgage crisis, the 2008 financial crisis, and the Great Recession. It's interesting to consider that it took nearly two years for the negative impact of those rate hikes to play out in the economy. I've talked about this before. The Fed was already cutting rates in 2007 and 2008 when the actual crash occurred. I I think sometimes we expect to see the impact of monetary policy to play out in days or weeks, when in reality it takes months or even years. You know, the the way we follow the markets day in, day out, I think it kind of lends to this this frenetic mindset where, you know, everything's going to happen tomorrow. But, you know, it's quite possible that the Fed may be able to drag out the actual crisis for a while longer. Or, or maybe not. At the rate we're going, things, things already seem to be breaking already. But I don't know, it's just hard to tell. And I think we have to remember that there can be a significant lag. Monetary policy doesn't work in a day. You don't turn a giant ship on a dime, right? Anyway, the FOMC statement emphasized that the committee is strongly committed to returning inflation to its 2% objective. Now, of course, we're still a long way from 2%, right? In fact, core inflation ticked up in March, and the GDP data released for the first quarter of 2023 also reveals underlying inflationary pressure. When I wrote about the March CPI, I called it a mirage, and I still think that. Sure, prices are moderating for now. But that does not mean inflation is whipped. Of course, tightening monetary policy isn't just about interest rates. Balance sheet reduction is probably more significant. When the Fed shrinks its balance sheet, it actually pulls money out of the system. That is how you tackle price inflation. The FOMC continues to claim that, quote, the committee will continue reducing its holdings of treasury securities and agency debt and agency mortgage-backed securities as described in its previously announced plans, end quote. The problem with this statement is that it hasn't come anywhere near reducing its balance sheet according to the plan that it announced a year ago. In fact, it has never reduced its holding of mortgage-backed securities by its $35 billion per month target. Not one time. And it rarely has met its goal for the reduction of Treasury bond holdings. And even if the central bank met its balance sheet reduction target, even if it was actually doing what it said it was going to do, it would still take more than seven years to unwind all of the quantitative easing that it did just during the pandemic. So, Let's look at Powell's messaging during the post-meeting press conference. He said some stuff, honestly, a little hard to swallow. First, he tried to downplay a rate hike pause and slam the door on the possibility of rate cuts this year. He emphasized that the Fed is now in a data-dependent mode and insisted that a decision on a pause was not made today. He said, quote, we on the committee have a view that inflation is going to come down not so quickly. It will take some time. In that world, if that forecast is broadly right, it would not be appropriate to cut rates. And he also tried to sound a hawkish note saying, quote, we are prepared to do more if greater monetary policy restraint is warranted. So he's still trying to play the hawk. This is what we've heard for months, right? Powell wants you to know that no matter what, he's in the fight. Inflation won't be allowed to win, yada, yada, yada. We already know this is BS, right? What happened the moment Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank failed? The Fed bailed them out with a very inflationary loan program. It added nearly $300 billion to the balance sheet in loans when it's supposed to be shrinking the balance sheet. This reveals 
the dirty little secret. The Fed will sacrifice the inflation fight to save the financial system and the broader economy every single time. But of course, Powell won't admit this out loud. He can't admit this out loud. If he did, it would be utter chaos. So he has to play the game. But it's true nonetheless. So as always, Powell talked tough, but he left himself a little wiggle room to stop tightening, to bring about the pause, if they need to. And that right there is the secret of Fed speak. You see, Powell and all of these central bankers, really, they say things in a way that no matter what they actually do, they can plausibly say, yeah, that's what we said we were going to do, right? So they give themselves all kinds of outs and all kinds of wiggle room so that basically whatever they do uh, is is kind of, it, it fits in with what they said they were going to do. So along those lines, Powell said he thought that the current interest rate level is close to being restrictive enough to slay the inflation dragon. So that gives them the opportunity, if they need to, to actually pause rate hikes. They can say, oh, well, we were restrictive enough. We, we, we knew that. Yeah, uh-huh. He said, policy is tight. You see that in interest rate sensitive activities, and you are beginning to see it more and more in other activities. Once you put the banking credit tightening and the Fed's quantitative tightening on top of that, I think we may not be far off. We're possibly already at that level, he said. Now, it's interesting that he said we might possibly be at that level, right? That means they don't really know. In fact, it was a number of meetings back, but if somebody actually asked him what, you know, what is a restrictive policy, he couldn't answer the question. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just shooting in the dark, right? They're throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's the nature of monetary policy. People act like it's some kind of big scientific thing. You know, these are these are the brilliant men and women that are that are managing our financial system. They have no idea what in the hell they're doing. And if you actually listen to what they say, it becomes clear because they're constantly hedging and and using the words maybe, probably, possibly, you know. So, it's all smoke and mirrors. Now, this idea that we are at a, uh, signif- uh, a sufficiently restrictive level to slay inflation might be plausible if the CPI accurately reflected the extent of rising prices. But, you know, inflation is worse than the government data suggests. We talk about this all the time. The CPI uses a formula that understates the actual rise in prices. Based on the formula used in the 70s, CPI is closer to double the official number. So, you know, we're saying it's at like 6%. That means the CPI is really running closer to 12%. A 5% interest rate isn't nearly tight enough to deal with 12% CPI. The real interest rate is still deeply negative. You need positive interest rates to bring down inflation. Never forget, Paul Volcker took rates to 20% to slay the inflation monster of the 1970s. And I would argue that this inflation dragon is bigger and badder than the one of the 70s. And they're thinking, oh, well, 5% is going to be sufficient. I don't think so. It's important to remember that the inflation... Inflation itself is an increase in the money supply. At least that's how they used to define it. Price inflation measured by the CPI is a symptom of monetary inflation. So if you increase the money supply, you are going to get price inflation. You're going to have prices rising harder, rising further across the board than they otherwise would have. Since 2008, the Fed has created nearly $8 trillion dollars. 
The central bank can't wring that amount of liquidity out of the system with a 5% interest rate. And as I've already mentioned, its balance sheet reduction plan barely puts a dent in the amount of money that's been created over the last decade plus. It doesn't even put a dent in the amount of money that was created during the pandemic, much less after the 08 financial crisis. But make no mistake, while this tightening trajectory isn't nearly enough to break inflation's back, it can certainly break the economy's back. It can certainly bust a lot of bubbles and break a lot of things in an economy that is dependent on easy money with those 5% interest rates. And that's the thing that really matters. The economy is addicted to easy money. It runs on easy money. Without easy money, it grinds to a halt. The Fed is taking away the addict's drug. We know what happens when the addict can't get his fix. And they aren't good things, right? Withdrawals are ugly and painful, and they can even be fatal. Nonetheless, Powell continues to insist it is possible to meet the Fed's inflation target and bring the economy to a soft landing. That term came up again during his press conference. Now, he based this on the initial signs of weakness in the labor market. He said, quote, there are no promises in this. Again, we don't really know. I'm making shit up. But he said, it just seems to me that it's possible that we can continue to have a cooling in the labor market without the big increase in unemployment that have gone with many prior episodes. In my view, you can file this under wishful thinking. I think the markets know this too. I think even with Powell trying to maintain a hawkish tone, the markets know the Fed is going to pivot this year because the economy is hurtling toward a cliff. They know the so-called soft landing is going to be a crash. That's why after this rate hike and all the promises of more inflation fighting to come, gold rallied to close to an all-time high. In fact, overnight, price action after the Fed meeting briefly pushed gold futures to a record high of $2,085.40 an ounce. That tells me that the markets don't believe Powell when he says they aren't going to cut rates this year. They know that this in, this recession that is on the horizon is going to be worse than anybody is really admitting out loud. And they know that the Fed is going to pivot back to loose monetary policy to deal with that recession. Where the markets are wrong is in thinking a recession will further rein in inflation. It won't. The Fed will create more inflation to prop up the bubble economy. Remember, the solution to the recession is more inflation. So if you get the recession, you're going to get more inflation, not less. The Fed will create more inflation to prop up the bubble economy. We are on the path toward stagflation. I think a lot of people in the markets know that, and that's kind of what we're seeing in the price action of gold. So here's the question. What's going to break next? As Peter Schiff said in a recent podcast, the Federal Reserve has screwed up everything that is a function of interest rates. I'll link to that in the show notes page. But really, the damage is done, right? You know, it's not the rate hikes that are causing the problem. It's the fact that the Fed kept rates so low for so long. The seeds of this crisis were sown years ago. This was inevitable. The moment Ben Bernanke launched QE1 back in 2008 with the promise that it was a temporary emergency measure. Obviously, it wasn't. You know, he said it was. He said, this is not debt monetization. We're going to you buy these bonds temporarily, but then we're going to sell them or we'll shrink our balance sheet back down when the crisis is over. They didn't do that. They shrank it a very little bit. And then 
in 2018, the economy got all wobbly, the stock market crashed, and the Fed immediately abandoned any pretense of unwinding the emergency measures that it had done, because those emergency measures became the pillars of support for the economy. And the only reason that that kind of got papered over was because of the pandemic, because that allowed the Fed to really double, triple, quadruple down on this nutty quantitative easing. So, Hiking rates toward normal, and that's what we're doing. I mean, this isn't this isn't extraordinary, right? The extraordinary thing was interest rates at zero for a decade. Five percent is not extraordinary. That's just kind of going towards maybe what a normal market for for money would be. You know, the price of money. That's what an interest rate is. It's the price of money. But this has already precipitated a financial crisis that is still in its early stages. Despite the Fed's insistence that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. Those words are in the FOMC statement. Government regulators seized control of First Republic Bank last weekend and sold the majority of the bank's operations to J.P. Morgan Chase. It's another bailout. It was the third major bank failure this year and the biggest bank collapse since the 2008 financial crisis. It was the second largest bank by assets to ever fail in U.S. history. Now, if we're to believe the mainstream narrative, the failures of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank were isolated events and do not reflect a broader problem in the banking system. But as I've talked about before, these bank failures are just the tip of the iceberg. A report by the Wall Street Journal cites a study from Stanford and Columbia Universities that found that 186 U.S. banks are in distress. And honestly, there's probably more than that since that paper's been published, because we've seen this mass exodus of deposit from these small regional banks. We're seeing the stock value of many of these regional banks tank. PacWest is the next bank on the block. It's teetering on the brink, even as I speak. It would not shock me if the FDIC took it over this weekend. I'll link to an article about that on the show notes page. And it's not just the banking system. Keep that in mind. There are plenty of other things at risk of breaking in this bubble economy, no matter what Powell and the other central bankers are saying today. The real estate market is a mess, both commercial and residential. Corporations are levered up to the hilt. Many are teetering. We've already had more bankruptcies this year than any year since 2020 during the pandemic and then 2009 at the height of the Great Recession. So we're like at the, for the beginning of a year, this is the third biggest number of bankruptcies that we've ever seen. We have a government that's teetering on the brink with massive deficits it can't possibly sustain in a high interest rate environment. We've got this dumb uh, uh, debt ceiling fight. We know it's going to happen. The debt ceiling is going to get raised. We're going to have the government borrowing more in order to close the gap on those deficits. Now it's having to borrow at higher interest rates. This is not sustainable. So what all of this means is ultimately the Fed is going to reverse course to keep banks from failing, to stop the auto industry from imploding, to save the housing market, to prop up the government, and to bail out over-levered corporations. That is the path we're heading on. No matter what Jerome Powell blah, blah, blah says, this is the reality that we live in. So by all means, parse Powell's words. There's nothing wrong with trying to read the tea leaves, try to figure out what he's thinking. And obviously, the markets are going to react to whatever Powell says. So, you know, if you're doing short-term investing, it's important to understand what Powell is saying. 
It's probably a good idea to be able to dissect the spin, but don't forget the words don't really matter. Reality matters. It's reality over rhetoric. No matter what Powell says, it's only a matter of time before the Fed has to abandon the pretense of an inflation fight, pivot, and start cutting rates. Even if this tightening cycle brings down CPI in the next few months, we may well see cooling CPI numbers. It's only going to be temporary. The moment it is forced to reckon with the damage done by decades of easy money, it will return to easy money like a pig to mud, no matter what the central bankers are telling you today. So be prepared. I still think that gold and silver both have a long way to run up. We're close to record prices. We're within 15, 20 bucks uh, as I'm prepping this podcast. We're going to break those records in the near future. But I think this is still a buying opportunity because prices are still relatively low. There's still a lot of people that think the Fed can walk this tightrope, that, can, that, that, it can, that it can manage to thread this needle. So this is a good time to talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. You can do that by calling 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email info at shiftgold.com, or you can simply go to shiftgold.com, you can go to the Getting Started page, and you can talk to a precious metal specialist right there online. I say this every week. They will look at your goals, your investment strategy, where you are, and they will help you figure out how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So do it today. And with that, that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, you can keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to this show, The Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the Ship Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of this stuff on the show notes page along with links to all of our social media. You can email me mmaharing at shipgold.com M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com I'm a little behind responding because I've been sick and busy but uh, I do appreciate hearing from folks. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And I will talk to you again next week.